All right. Uh, well, if you want to get a head start, you can open your Bibles to 1 Peter. I'm going to go to chapter 1 here, but uh, we're going to begin a new series this morning called The Authority of Scripture. I just got a little too convicted to preaching about the tongue, so uh, I figured I'd better stop before I can't preach anymore. But uh, truth is, uh, we really handled, I think, a lot of the doctrinal um, um, mindset behind uh, taming the tongue. And uh, there are so many verses in the book of Proverbs about it that I thought, you know what, I think we'll come back on that another time. I actually went through all of them, and I thought, man, this is, this is a... This is a 50-part series right here, but uh, at any rate, uh, I thought uh, we'll uh, come back at that. But I am excited about what I believe this morning is such an important, uh, important topic, especially in the Church of America right now, and really uh, just, I think, uh, such a season in our country. I was at a novelty store uh, with my beloved wife uh, not too long ago. I think we were over at Monterey or something like that. I don't remember exactly where, but uh, they had these mugs that were uh, indicated uh, on them, uh, events that happened, uh, major events, headlines, maybe not even major events, but just uh, unique events uh, of the year you were born. So you're supposed to look through the mugs, you know, and go back, and uh, it, my mug was way <laughs> in the back, but anyway. Um, so I found 1956, the year I was born. They, uh, not a lot happened in 1956, it seemed like of much import. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower was elected uh, president. Um, some of you might even remember that, but uh, um, something was going on in the Suez Canal. There were some kind of issues there. And, uh, but the only thing I really remember is that that was the year that Elvis Presley debuted on the uh, Ed Sullivan, Heartbreak Hotel, and uh, that was like the big thing on that little mug. They were really proud of that, for sure. So that was, uh, that's 1956. But there was another event that happened in 1956 that actually affects each of you here this morning, and that is that there was a handful of people that gathered together over in East Stockton to begin a work. A little precious lady by the name of Mrs. Bowler. Uh, she had, her husband had passed away. He had been a pastor. Uh, she uh, had had a little Bible study in her home, and they got the idea that they should launch a mission church. And so the Bible Baptist Church of Vallejo sent over a mission pastor. And in 1956, the Bible Baptist Church of Stockton was born. And that is the with a small little handful of people. That is the uh, genesis of this wonderful church that we have here today on this beautiful campus. And when I came uh, 40 years ago, I came to that very same building, uh, a little bit different from when they started, but on that little half acre of land to a wonderful group of people. And over the years, uh, God has blessed in a mighty way. But there is one thing I would tell you that has distinguished and uh, even at the beginning, from what I hear, and I've talked with a couple of my predecessors, and that was that the intent of the church, and it, you can even see it in the name, they wanted it to be a Bible church. In fact, they put that name first, Bible. And then, of course, the wonderful 
unashamed heritage we have of being Baptist, Bible Baptist. And that's why still today the name of our church is the Home Church Bible Baptist. And we have that as our hope and our, uh, our vision because we certainly want to be a Bible church. And over the years, that's exactly what we have done. In every classroom, I mean, even in the nursery, they'll teach these little babies of the Bible. And uh, parents will come to me and say, I'm so grateful that our little uh, preschooler is learning the Bible. They'll sing Bible songs. They'll, you know, uh, learn the ABCs even with, you know, A, all have sinned. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. C, confess your sins unto the Lord. And so uh, it is a wonderful thing that in each classroom and certainly from the pulpit, there's never been a time in these uh, 64 years almost now that we have pushed the pulpit aside and said, we're going we're gonna to study out of a science book, or we're going to do this or that. No, we have preached the Bible, and I thank the Lord for that. Sunday after Sunday, this church has been a Bible church. We believe that the Bible is worth saying thus Say it, the Lord. It is the thing that we ought to put our hope and trust in this morning. Amen. A little boy went to church one time, and he came home. His parents had been away that Sunday, and they were unable to attend. So they asked him uh, what the pastor had preached about and what uh, had went on in church. And he said, well, the pastor told us we're going to have a re-Bible church uh, service. They said, a re-Bible service? What do you mean a re-Bible service? And so they couldn't figure it out, so they called down to the church office, and the secretary laughed and said, no, the pastor said we're going to have a revival service. But you know what? I think that little boy had it right. I think we need to have a re-Bible services around America today. We need to get back to the authority of Scripture where men of God stand in the pulpit of God and preach to the people of God, thus saith the Lord. And that's what we're going to begin a series on this morning. There are some amazing, incredible, really, um, if you want to even use the word iconic, just passages of Scripture that every Bible-believing Christian needs to have in their mind. And so uh, that's what we're going to be in here for a few weeks, the Lord willing. And then we'll finish off the year strong with a message on Christ there at the Christmas service and then the new year. Let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these beloved people. Oh, Lord, I prayed so much this week for each one of them, so many of them, Lord, their hurts, their heartaches. We're here today. We love your word. Uh, Lord, we, we have rolled in. We have, uh, Lord, in some cases, we have limped in. Some of them pushed in. Lord, but we're here because we want to hear from you. Thank you for a people that love the Word of God. And I pray that you'll meet with us as we begin in a, a fresh anointing, not only on the speaker, but on the hearer. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, I just want to say thank you. If I don't say it, uh, people say often, they said, I want you to, I want to thank you, Pastor, for just uh, preaching the Word. And I, and I many times will tell them this. I will say, I will tell you what. I thank God for this church that wants to hear the Word of God, because I promise you I would not last in a lot of churches more than one Sunday. Uh, they had, no, you go somewhere else, that's a little too hot for us. But um, now this morning as we begin, you know, one of the big questions really in any proposition is this, 
says who or who says. You know, you hear scientific facts or medical facts. <laughs> Interesting thing about medical facts, they're constantly changing, aren't they? And so are science facts. But, um, you know, science a hundred years ago, uh, the, the facts today are far different. People say, well, we finally have all the facts. No, really? It's amazing how those facts change. But people will say, this is a fact. Who says that? Well, Dr. So-and-so. Well, who told him? Well, so-and-so. But uh, facts, who says? And I think that's one of the most important things anytime we hear a truth, or supposed truth, is consider the source. You know, I'm not a, and you know, I'm not a fan of uh, alcoholic social drinking. And I'm, I'm not on a campaign to, you know, to make sure nobody ever takes a drink. But I will tell you this, I, I don't think it's good for families. I don't think it's good for individuals, for the community. It's, a, it's just not a healthy thing. But for years, I have heard people say that, uh, well, actually, you know, drinking red wine is actually quite healthy for you. And so uh, the facts tell you that. And so I thought, you know what, I think I'm just going to read into that. Well, what I found out was that uh, it's not the alcohol that's healthy for your heart. The red wine, uh, they say, it's just the grapes. <laughs> and you can get the same benefit from grape juice, in fact, even better, without pickling yourself. And, uh, but uh, that's what, so they say, well, it's a, it's a fact that you can take red wine and uh, you'll have a better heart. Well, yeah, there. There's a lot of properties and um, what do they say, the antioxidants, which reduce the blood clots and all that. But here's the interesting thing. Do you know who sponsored all those studies? They said that, it's a strange thing, in France, where people drink a lot of red wine, the heart disease is very low and they eat a lot of cheese and everything else. But, uh, so they, they attribute it to the red wine. <laughs> and what a leap, you know, but anyway, um, the... Uh, the, the people who sponsored that study is the alcohol industry. The alcohol industry gets these experts to come up with these facts, puts it out there, and uh, we have a neighbor who's a doctor, and uh, he told us uh, one time, he said his, uh, his, he got a call from an angry wife, and uh, I said, what was she mad about? She said, uh, you told my husband he could start drinking again? He said, I didn't tell your husband he can start drinking again. That's what he said. He came home from the, your office and said he could start drinking again. I said, I said no, you, you need to do something for your heart health, even if it's drinking some wine or something. And uh, so he said, man, that's it, honey. I'm going to start drinking again. And, uh, but, you know, it's funny how we, get, we have all these amazing leaps with our mind. Who says? And so that's the question we asked this morning. Who says? Well, I'm glad to be able to say this morning, God says. This is what God says. And because that's what God says, there can be no apology and there must be no retreat. As a church, we don't uh, do what some convention says or what some denomination says. We do what God says. And there is a battle for the Bible today, trust me. Every single week, some new book comes out, some new idea comes out in an effort to be novel, and so they have this new revelations in an effort to be more tolerant. They uh, have these doctrines that sway people one way or the other, and this Bible version situation has gotten seriously out of hand. I mean, almost every month, some new 
Bible version comes out with all kinds of accolades, and it's just unbelievable. It is, uh, they're adding to Scripture, taking away one of the most popular ones, the uh, New National Version. Do you realize they take 200 verses out of the Bible? I mean, now it's one thing to, you know, maybe change a wording here or there, but to just take away 200 verses and throw them out and say, these don't need to be in the Bible? Strange how some of those verses have to do with homosexuality and a few other things. But uh, it doesn't surprise me that some of the translators of the NIV uh, have that kind of a background. You know, the fact is, there's just so much craziness out there today. We need to make sure that we have a belief, a firm belief in the Word of God. I read a study recently by Gallup polls, and they said that fewer than one in four Americans now, 24%, newest poll, believe that the Bible is actually the Word of God and should be taken literally word for word. It is the first time that biblical skepticism now is a, is a greater fact in America than biblical literalism. 26% of you, that the Bible is a book of fables, legends, and its history and moral precepts are simply recorded by mankind. Now, about half of America does believe the Bible is inspired quote, inspired. Uh, One-fourth believe that it's to be taken literally. Uh, 50% believe it's inspired, but should not be, we shouldn't live by it all the time. Do you realize that most Christian colleges now do not believe in biblical inerrancy? In fact, for the most part, it is not safe to send your child to a Christian college without you doing some serious, serious research on whether those that are in the theology classes and the Bible, do the, do the people who are the leaders, do they believe in biblical inerrancy? Jason Lowe Baxter, great, he was born in Australia, he pastored in England, he was a great theologian, he's a fundamentalist. Listen to what he said, he's with the Lord now, but listen to what he said, the biggest decision, excuse me, the biggest division between Christians is no longer denomination, one denomination to another, but those who accept the Bible as the inspired Word of God and those who do not. Really, that's the big divide in the Christian world today. Do you believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God or not? And from uh, studies uh, now, most people actually don't believe that, even in the evangelical church. It has gotten to a critical situation and that's why these passages, like we'll see today in the next couple of weeks, are absolutely vital for Christians to get it into our mind, especially those that are young in the Lord. And so uh, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23, 24, and 25. Let's read those together, if you would, please. Let's read it out loud. I think it'd be helpful just to get it in our minds here. All right, ready? Begin. Let's read it. Being born again, not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Now in First Peter chapter 1, the Apostle has been encouraged them to live a good life, a, a clean life, a, a biblical life. And the reason that they should do that is because they have been born 
again. God has been birthed into their soul. How did that happen? Look at verse 23. By incorruptible seed. Now, he talks about corruptible seed and incorruptible seed. Now, what's he meaning by the words corruptible seed? He's meaning uh, the physical seed of a man and a woman. They produce a child. And these children are uh, at whatever state they are. I mean, some are just very, uh, have very strong lives. Some of them live very uh, wonderful lives. And uh, the best person that's ever been born, who lives the longest, has the most uh, the strongest life, the most brilliant mind. Here it says, still they're like grass. Notice what it says in verse 24. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. And so some people, they're just flowers. (laughs) I mean, they're just amazing. They're beautiful people. They're great sports people. Someone the other day told me they said they just... They just, how, how perfect can Tom Brady and his wife be? I mean, I mean, they're a great athlete, they're bright, they're good looking, they're super rich, they're well-spoken. I mean, come on. Okay, let's just say they are flowers. That's what it says here. They are the flower of people. They're educated, they're gifted, they're amazing, amazing people. And yet, it's still corruptible seed. There'll be a day when uh, a few years from now, the Lord Terry's is coming. You'll visit. Uh, you could visit Tom Brady in a rest home, and uh, he's gonna. His hands will be shaking, and at the best, he'll be corruptible seed because everything that comes from the flesh eventually wears out and dies. And that's what he's saying. But there is something that's not like that. There is a seed that is incorruptible and that never fades away. And that seed, it says, is the Word of God. And so he teaches us here that there is a a way to be birthed that it will be incorruptible. The point being, you can't have the new birth without something incorruptible. Sometimes people say, I'll I'll study that. I'll tell them, you know, you need to be saved. You need to trust Christ as your Savior. I'll study that. That's not going to work because studying alone is a corruptible way to get to God. The incorruptible way is to be birthed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Here's how it works. Just like in the physical life, you have a man and a woman. That's a corruptible seed. In the spiritual life, there is the Spirit of God who illuminates. Then there is the Word of God that revelates. A person can't get saved by saying, I saw a tree, I saw a star, I believe in God. I'm now a Christian. You have to have specific revelation, and that is the Word of God. That's why it says in Romans chapter 10, We have to go out there because if we don't go out there, they won't hear. And if they don't hear, they can't be saved. They have to have general revelation will take me close to God, but specific revelation, the Word of God, it takes the Word of God. That's why it says in James 1.18, of his own will begat he us, fathered by the Word of truth. It is the Word of God that brings forth a person. You'll talk to a person, and you'll tell them they need Jesus in their life. Okay, thank you. 
But it's not until they get a verse that they can stand on that will then open up their eyes to the gospel because it is the seed of the word. Sometimes people make a mistake and they say, okay, just say these words. I love you, Jesus. Okay, good. You're a Christian. No, you have to have the word of God. That's what it's saying here. That's why it says holding forth, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 16, holding forth the word of life. The word gives spiritual life. And so the spirit of God illuminates the word. That's, uh, that's the, the father or the mother of the word. The, the, uh, the spirit of God illuminates the word of God revelates. It begins to give a specific revelation. That's why it says in John chapter 6 and verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, means made alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. Nobody ever got to heaven by saying, I'm going to go to heaven. I've just decided I'm going to be a Christian. Doesn't work that way. The words that I speak unto you, Jesus said, they are spiritual and they are life. The Bible is a living book. It's an amazing book because it's both eternal and it's alive. Some people say, I read the Bible. Amen. More importantly, typically the Bible reads me. (laughs) Boy, I read it and man, it starts reading me over for sure. All right. There are three important truths to remember in this verse. These verses, first of all, the word of God, its author. Look at verse number 23, being born again, can't be saved without the word of God. I can't be saved just because I decide I'm going to be a Christian. No, it is incorruptible seed, holy seed, because physical seed will eventually corrupt even the flower of it. Incorruptible, the word of God. Say it with me, please. The word of what? God. The word of God. God gave us the Bible, not Zondervan. Not Simon Schuster, not Random House, but God's house. God gave the Word. If you were to take the Bible, open it up, or if you were to scroll through, or if you were to do a search on your little Bible there, you would find out that the phrase is Word of the Lord, Word of God, God said, or the Lord spoke. Over 3,800 times the Bible claims to be the Word of God. Now, if humans actually wrote the Bible and not God, then the Bible is the biggest compilation of lies in the world today. And those who said that are not very good people. And you know, I don't know of anybody that says Moses is a bad guy. I don't know of anybody that says David, you know, is just a bad, bad person. I mean, they may have had their faults, but everybody that looks at the Bible character say they're good people. Well, they're not good people. If they said, God said this, and God didn't say that. They're not good people if they say, this is, thus saith the Lord, and really they just wrote it in their garage somewhere. That's not a very good person. Lewis Schaefer said concerning the Bible, God had to write the Bible because it is such a book that man would not write, even if he could write it, because the Bible condemns man. Why would man write something that condemns him? No, it is the Word of God. The fact is there's no way to explain the Bible apart from divine authorship. God is the author. Now, there are three important facts that every fundamental believer needs to have, and that is this. First of all, I believe the Bible is inspired. It is God-breathed. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16. 
Let's just read that first little phrase together. Ready, begin. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All right, let's take that little phrase there, all. And uh, that means, uh, and we're going to see in a moment, plenary. It's a word that just simply means complete. Scripture, that's actually the Greek word graphe. It means the writings. All, plenary, Scripture, the writings, is given by inspiration of God. Now, that word inspiration is a vital word. It's one of those Greek words that every Christian ought to know, every English speaking Christian or any speaking Christian should know, even though we don't know the Greek, maybe not study it. But it's a compound Greek word, theonoustos. Theo is the basis for God, like theology. Noustos is the word for air or breathe. You know, you get those little pneumatic wrenches. It's an air wrench. It is the word for God breathed. God breathed or spoke out his word over a period of 1,500 years to approximately 40 specially chosen and prepared men of God who wrote it down. God breathed out his word. Moses wrote it down. God breathed at his word, and Joshua wrote it down. God breathed at his word, and David wrote it down. And so 40 men wrote down what God said. You'd say, well, how could that be? If God wrote all the Bible, how is it that there's such a difference between Moses and David and, uh, you know, the practicality of Solomon and uh, all the, you know, the beautiful po poetry of David and the doctrine of Paul, you know, and how could there be such a difference? That's because God breathes into different instruments. Based on the instrument, it comes out differently. I've asked uh, Brother Gary McLaughlin, if he would, please. Gary, where are you? And uh, there he is. All right. Now, uh, Gary, this is a perfect example because uh, Gary is going to play God today. And uh, he, <laughs> all right. And so Gary's breath is going to come out through an instrument. Now, this, uh, is, it, is this a trumpet? This is a trumpet. Any kind of a trumpet or just a trumpet? Regular trumpet. Okay. All right. So just go ahead and play a, a, a note or two. Awesome, thank you. Okay, so that's a trumpet. Well, that's that's amazing. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's that was Moses right there. Okay, so Moses just trumpeted. Now, same person, same breath, different instruments. All right. Amen. What is that thing? That's a flugel? <laughs> okay. A flugel. There you go. Well, thank you so much. Let's give him a hand. Praise God. All right. So you'd say, how in the world does inspiration work? God just breathed into different authors, and they wrote it down. Look at, verse, look at Psalm 68, verse 11. The Lord gave the word. The Lord gave the word, and great was the company of those that published it. I'm sure glad the Lord gave it, because even if the best people had given us the word, it would be influenced 
by humans and therefore fallible. Now, Roman Catholicism says this morning that the Pope is infallible. I would say that I'm probably not sure I believe that, but uh, thank God there's no such thing as a Baptist Pope. But there is a Bible Pope, and that is the infallible Word of God. The word inspiration is, means God breathed. It doesn't just mean somebody that's in the zone or somebody who's amazing, like a musician. I listen to these people play, and I just say, that's just amazing. I hear people do, you know, some acting, or I say, man, that's just amazing. I watch them play. That's just amazing. They're inspired, but that's not what we're talking about. In fact, there is a false teaching going around today that is called the encounter theory. That's the terminology it has been given. But it basically means that the Bible becomes the Word if it inspires you. If you do something divine, you do something holy, then the Bible is good for you. Kind of the whatever floats your boat theory. You know, hey man, if the Bible's good for you, floats your boat, amen. No, the fact is, if it floats your boat or sinks your boat, it's still the Word of God. It's not, a, it's not a, whether it helps you or it doesn't help you. In fact, the Bible is the Word of God, whether whatever man may say. Romans 3 and verse 4 says, let God be true and every man a liar. God's words are true. Some people say, well, the concepts in the Bible are true, but not the actual words. No, the actual words are from God. Well, the thoughts are from God, no. The actual words are from God. And that's why, by the way, when you get a translation, get a word-for-word translation, like the King James or the New King James, and there's a few others. But for the most part, most translations believe in what's called dynamic inspiration or or translation, meaning we're going to give you the thought of what God says. And sometimes it does read more fluently. I will agree with that. But it's not word-for-word. And if every word is inspired, then we need to know what the actual translated word is. And so first truth, inspiration. The Bible is God-breathed. Say that with me. The Bible is God-breathed. Do you believe that? Yes. Verbal inspiration is the second truth. The words of the Bible are God-breathed. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, which things also we speak not in the words, which man's wisdom teaches, but meaning the words which the Holy Ghost teacheth. God gave the very words that He wanted to be given. God gave the very words, and they were written down in original manuscripts. God, these people wrote them down very specifically from God. They just wrote them down. Now, the original manuscripts, are we don't have a, those anymore, but we do, thank God, have copies of those today in our hand. And I will say this, that the words of God are very, very important. Every specific word is important. You realize how important each word is? You know, each punctuation mark is actually even important. For example, let's eat, comma, grandpa, versus let's eat grandpa. (laughs) Punctuation potentially has the power to save a life. We don't want to eat grandpa. Let's put a comma in there. Did you know that the scriptures, not only the words are inspired, but the tense 
of the words are inspired. Did you know that God actually inspired plural versus singular? In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus said, did you know that every even jot and tittle, which are actually two little parts of the Hebrew alphabet, did you know that those are actually inspired by God? God said, every little stroke, you know, like when I print, I take maybe three, put a P, you know, it takes two strokes, and take an R, you know, it takes three strokes, that each of those strokes of the Hebrew alphabet are actually inspired by God. People say, that just seems like too mechanical. You know, Beth and others have done a lot of transcribing for me over the years, and uh, now they, they take down what I say uh, via the electronic means. She doesn't, um, she doesn't cease to be a human. She still has a, there's still a human part to all that translating, but she writes down what I say. And so just because uh, God spoke the word doesn't mean that those uh, authors, those writers don't lose their ability to be human, verbal inspiration. We believe in inspiration. Number two, we believe in verbal inspiration. And number three, we believe in verbal plenary inspiration. Every word of God is God-breathed. Plenary meaning full or complete that means the historical parts of the Bible are just as accurate as the salvation parts. That means the science in the Bible is just as accurate as the description of heaven. People say, well, pastor, aren't you worried when the science contradicts the Bible? Not in the least. My idea is that when scientists get to catch up with the Bible, then amen. Praise God for that. But the fact is, uh, what you, people say, oh, I, isn't it wonderful that science is backing up the Bible? You know what? I don't need science to back up the Bible because the fact is I believe the Bible, whether science has it figured out or not. Plenary, plenary, complete everything in the Bible is accurate. There was a man who was told to build a wall. Build a wall that will not fall down. So he built a wall four foot high and five feet wide. And he said, if you push that wall over, it's going to be taller after it's pushed over than it was before. And the fact is, you know, the more people push against the Word of God, it just gets taller and grows all the time. And that's what we're saying here. And folks, there is a battle raging in every denomination. It's usually raging in the idea of, you know, marriage equality and who can be ordained or different things like that. But the fact is there is a battle raging in every denomination. Do we have an inerrant Bible or do we not? That's the real question in these denominations. Not whether you believe about this or that, but that's what the Bible says. Someone might say, well, do you believe uh, this, you know, about abortion in the case of rape or in the case of incest, we might be able to abort that child? No. You say, well, you're kind of harsh. No, I just happen to believe the Bible, thou shalt not kill. You just can't kill a child. That's what the Bible says, not what the Baptists say, not what Pastor Tim says, simply what the Bible says. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. And he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of God. We believe in a verbal inspiration. We believe in plenary Inerrancy. That means the Bible contains no error. It is in 
incorruptible. That's what Peter said. God's Word is incorruptible. God's Word is pure, Proverbs 30 and verse 5. Every Word of God is pure, despite what uh, people have said over the years and tried to uh, do to the Bible over the years. The radicals have tried to abuse it and try to tell us not to believe it, but the fact is the Word of God, its author, is God. Number two this morning, let's look at its antiquity. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Not only is the Word of God authored by God, thus saith the Lord, but it is eternal. It may be on the New York Times bestseller list, or it may not, but the fact is, it is eternal. It's not the book of the month club. It is eternal. From eternity past to eternity future, the Bible has always been here. Do you realize that someday you're going to walk into heaven, you're going to be like, wow, man, whoo, this is amazing. And then you're going to pull out your Bible, and you're going to read, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. You're going to read Genesis 1-1 because the Bible is eternal. You can say, what are we going to do for eternity? You're going to read the same Bible you have right now. Not a new Bible because the Bible says it is eternal. Did you realize that the last verse of Revelation was already in heaven before God spoke the word, the world into existence? It is eternal. A minute ago, I said that the Bible was... Uh, was <coughs> Uh, was written by 40 men over 1,500 years. To be more accurate, it was revealed to man over 1,500 years. Now, if a generation is 40 years, it took 40 generations for God to give the Word to man. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't eternal. God didn't create the Word by speaking to these people. It was already in the heavens. Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119, verse 52, concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Isn't it incredible that here we are in the 21st century, and I'm talking to some very bright people here this morning. Many of you are educated, far more educated than I'll ever be. Many of you are just brilliant people. We have engineers and PhDs and medical professionals and lawyers and you name it, wonderful uh, house uh, uh, homemakers and just amazing what God has put together. And here we are after all these centuries. It, this Bible was placed into the hand of mankind about 3,000 years ago. And of course, the New Testament uh, earlier than that. But over the years, here we are in this time and we are still reading the same word. We're reading it with excitement and life and vigor, and it changes lives. I mean, I, I don't know if you've been watching this uh, fellow who uh, is married to Kim Kardashian, Kanye West. Do you know who he is? He's a, a rapper. Most of you probably have heard of him. But I mean, this guy was one rough guy. And uh, about uh, six months or so ago, this guy, it appears he got born again. He went to a church uh, in an, outside of Magic Mountain there. He went to a, a Bible church. I'm not talking about some just crazy off-the-wall church. He went to a Bible church. The fact the pastor is uh, from Master's uh, Seminary there and uh, John MacArthur's ministry. And uh, 
it looks like the guy's gotten born again. I mean, he's, he's got the number one rap song right now, and it's Jesus is King. Can you imagine? This guy got born again, and he is, it's just, I've been so, now, he still needs to be sanctified like we all do, amen, you know, but I mean, I've just been watching with so much fun, and I thought, isn't that amazing that uh, here's this guy who had gone way one, and God's Word written all those years ago with all these amazing stories in the Bible. And it still has the power to change a man who's a billionaire. Man, by the way, I'll say something that I read that he said I, I thought it was powerful. He said all these years in my adult life, he said it, people were afraid to tell me because of my fame, because of my, you know, uh, my riches and all that. He said they just were afraid to tell me the gospel. But he said, the true gospel of Jesus Christ has come into my life. And uh, I mean, I just, unbelievable. I just like so excited about it. It's been so fun. I just pray that he doesn't get off track somewhere, you know. But I'm telling you what, the Bible did that. The Bible did that. That's God's word that was given to us 3,000 years ago with all these stories about these Hebrew people. And because God's word is alive, it is incorruptible. People have tried to burn it. People have tried to bury it, but it always comes back. A Roman emperor by the name of Diocletian, when we were there in Rome, we saw these uh, walls that had Diocletian's name on them. Diocletian was an emperor of Rome. He banned the Bible. In fact, he had every Bible he could find in the kingdom burned. And then over the ashes of the Bible, erected a monument to the destruction of the Bible. And here were those words in Latin, extincto nomine Christianorum, meaning the name of Christianity is now extinct. He thought he had done away with Christianity. Did you know that just 20 years later, Constantine, who had his troubles, but I will say this, Constantine made the Bible the basis for the entire empire. Just a few years later, the fact is God's word, it says, liveth and abideth forever. It liveth and abideth forever. There's a story of a man who was just tired of having to pay so much money for, to feed his old mule. So he decided he would substitute sawdust for some of that grain and hopefully his mule would get used to it. And everything went fine for a while. But after the mule got satisfied with the sawdust, he died. And you know, that's exactly what has happened with Christians in this world today. It seems like the American church, we've gotten so satisfied with sawdust that before long we're going to die if we don't make sure we get back to the Word of God. And I say to families, family after family, marriage after marriage, young people, who think they know better than church, they know better than the Bible, they know better than the man of God, they follow the crowd, they follow Oprah, they follow some, you know, some educator somewhere. Folks, stick with the Word of God. Its author is God. It is an ageless truth. Its author and its antiquity. It's been here and it'll still be here. And number three, its authority. Look at the authority of God's Word. But the Word of the Lord endureth forever. This is the word by which the gospel is preached. 
The only reliable instrument of the gospel is the Bible. How do I know I can go to heaven? The word gospel means good news. How, how can I know the gospel? Because of what some TV preacher says? Well, thank God for anyone that are preaching the gospel. But my, my guarantee doesn't rely on what they say on TV or what they say on the radio or what some book says. This morning, the only reliable instrument of the gospel is the Bible. It is a written guarantee. And that's what he's saying here. The message of the church today doesn't need to be rethought. It just needs to be retaught. Look what it says. The gospel is preached. The gospel needs to be preached. The word of God must never stop to be preached. I was talking to the Lord earlier today, and I, it just seemed like, as I was talking to him, it just seemed like God told me, just, just talking. He said, you know, the only reason you're here, Tim, is because you preach the word. <laughs> the only reason. I mean, you preach the word, you preach the gospel, I need you. Now, there's going to come a time when someone will, uh, God will say, you know what, you've done that long enough, and I'm going to give everybody, somebody else that chance. But I will say this, that, that if there is a secret to why I've been able to be here for 40 years preaching is because 40 years ago, if you heard me, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I remember one person came to the church and said, you know, I just knew, he had left the church for so many years, came back and visited, he said, I just knew that we'd have the same music, we'd have the same preaching, we'd have the same Bible, I just knew it'd be the same. He said, it makes me feel so good. <laughs> this made me feel so good. You say, well, that's kind of boring. Well, it may be boring, but I will tell you this. God's word is the, it's, it's authoritative. It doesn't need to be changed. Notice what it says. The gospel needs to be preached. I don't care how you preach it, but I mean, it needs to be preached. The gospel needs to be preached. It is the power of God. You'd say, well, my denomination doesn't believe that. It doesn't make any difference what a denomination says or what some theologian says or what somebody who used to believe now doesn't believe the gospel. The fact is, the Bible says it is the gospel that changes lives. And we ought to proclaim it faithfully. I don't uh, do so authoritatively. Now, I'm not saying belligerently. I'm not saying angrily. Humbly. Both authoritatively. So, well, you know, science doesn't agree with it. We're going to talk about that in these next couple of weeks when people say, well, you know, there's scientific errors in the Bible, or the Bible's such a, a cruel book, or, you know, there's so many, uh, it's, so many, it's an angry book, or, you know, and there's so many inconsistencies or discrepancies in the Bible. We're going to talk about those things over the next couple of weeks because those are all just uh, lies put out there by Satan. The fact is we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. We believe that every word is given by God. It is plenary, meaning every fact of history, science, and doctrine is the same. It is without error. God inspired the Bible. It's verbiage. It's punctuation. It's completely inspired. Verbal, plenary inspiration. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is incorruptible. It is uh, eternal in the heavens. That is the position of anybody who is a Bible-believing Christian. Are you a Bible-believing Christian? 
I am. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. And if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you'd say, well, uh, you know, our denomination's having a trouble. You know, I, I, I was at a pastor's meeting, and I, um, I, I didn't, honestly, it came out of my mouth before I even realized I had said it. I, and I wasn't trying to be, you know, picky or whatever, but uh, we were having, it was about a dozen of us, and there's a prayer meeting here in town, and we had several uh, denominations there represented, and as a man from the United Methodist Church, and pastor of the United Methodist Church, and uh, he was a good man as far as I could tell. But uh, he said, I want you to pray for our denomination. He said, we're really having a, a, a battle about uh, same-sex marriage and uh, ordaining uh, gay clergy and so forth. Before I could even say anything, I said, what's the battle? The battle? There's a battle? What, what, what do you mean battle? I was like, then I realized I was talking to a United Methodist, <laughs> that uh, it's a battle to them. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I thank God it's not a battle in my mind. The Bible says it's wrong. <laughs> I said, well, why? you know, you need to be more modern. Folks, it is wrong. It's against, why is it wrong? It's against the Bible. That's why it's wrong. Yeah. So, you know, I say, well, it's unnatural. Yep, it's unnatural. I dead sure understand that. But it is against God's Word. And if it's against God's Word, that's that's point done. It's just unbiblical. And uh, that's what God says. And that's, you know, it solves a lot of things in life when you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. (laughs) There was a preacher who stood on the street corner and he was preaching to anybody who would listen. A man approached him and looked like he'd lived on the street forever. The pastor said, can I help you? Well, I think you can. Uh, would you tell me about Jesus? Um, he said, well, yes, I can. He said, but what I'd like you to do is, is uh, I'd like you to pray for me. He said, well, okay, I'll, I'll certainly pray for you. He said, but uh, he said, I really don't want you to talk to me. He said, I, I just would like your Bible. The pastor said, Wait a second, you, you don't want me to talk to you, you just want me to pray for you, but you want me to give me my Bible? He said, yep. He said, I noticed that your Bible, the pages are very thin, and I think I can use those pages to wrap me a cigarette. And uh, the pastor looked at him and wanted to say something, but he, all of a sudden a thought came to him. He said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my Bible. He had several Bibles. He said, I'll I'll absolutely let you, I'll give you that Bible. If you will agree, before you smoke a page, you will read it. So the guy took the Bible and left. The preacher thought he'd seen the last of him. He he realized he could get another Bible. So several months had passed. The preacher was preaching on the street corner. And a man came up to him dressed in a three-piece suit. He said, you don't know me, do you? He said, no, I've never met you in my life, sir. So, well, yes, you have. He said, I'm the man you gave that Bible to about four months ago. The preacher couldn't believe his eyes and his ears, and he said, what in the world happened to you? He said, well, I smoked Matthew, and then I smoked Mark, and then I smoked Luke, and then John smoked me. (laughs) And I will tell you that, folks, the Bible will smoke you this morning. 
It'll put the fire of God in your heart, and it needs to put the fire of God in our churches. We need to get back to a point where we're saying, I believe the Word of God. I believe thus saith the Lord. God's Word is what we believe in this morning. Amen and amen. <laughs> Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer, if you would, please.